Let me share with you some prayer requests that are frequent in my life. And in fact, these are five things that I try to pray every single day. And uh, perhaps it will give me a springboard for what I will preach for just a few minutes on this Sunday morning. First of all, I ask God every day to help me to act right. I want to act right. The Bible talks about our conduct becoming the gospel. And I want that in my life. So my first prayer is that God will help me to act right. Secondly, I pray that God will help me to talk right. I want the words of my mouth, as the psalmist said, to be acceptable in God's sight. I don't want to waste my words. I don't want my words to fall to the ground. I want them to be words that are excellent words. Thirdly, I ask God to help me to decide right. Decide right. We can be in the valley of decision so long that we get paralyzed. But I want with God's help and his anointing, the Spirit's leading, to decide the things that I need to decide, to decide right and let the Lord lead me in that. And then the final two things are very important to me and they are core ways that I try to live my life as the Lord helps. First of all, I pray that the Lord will help me to think right. I want to think the right thoughts. Uh, here's what the psalmist said. He said, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. But he also said, let the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. And so what I allow myself to think about, I want to do that right. I, I want to let thoughts be in my mind that need to be in my mind. And then finally, I ask the Lord to help me to forget right. Now, that's the one, whenever I've shared this with people, they kind of tilt their head a little sideways. Forget right? Yes, I ask God every day that he will help me to forget right. You may say, well, what in the world does that mean, forget right? How many of you, <coughs> excuse me, how many of you have ever had someone give you information and they said to you, now don't forget this. And before you can turn around, you forget it. Or how many of you have ever had so much stuff coming at you that you feel like you're not sharp at anything? There is way too much information, especially in the day in which we live, for us to remember everything. And so my simple prayer is, God, let me forget the right stuff. I, I, I don't want to forget good stuff. I don't want to forget important stuff. But I do want to forget the things I don't need to remember. What did the Apostle Paul said? He said, forgetting the things which are behind and pressing forward. I want to be that kind of follower of Jesus Christ. Again, act right, talk right, decide right, think right, forget right. When I consider the idea of thinking right and forgetting right, there is something that comes to my mind quickly, and that is the word priority. If I'm going to forget something, I don't want it to be a priority. I want to think about that. I want to let my mind think 
about that. And so with the help of the Lord for just a few moments, and I don't think I'm going to preach a long time today, which means I'll probably preach it again next Sunday morning too. But I want to preach on this subject, above everything else. Would you say that with me? Above everything else. Above everything else. If I can live my life by priority, if we as hopefully followers of Jesus Christ can live our life by priority, then we will succeed in living a life that makes the priority higher than everything else, above everything else. Have you ever wondered, you don't have to answer this out loud, but maybe you're here and you've wondered a time or two, what does all this mean? What, what does all this life stuff mean? What does all this living for God mean? What matters most? Helen Keller said it like this, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. Here, uh, told by a lady that was deaf and blind. That's quite an adventurous life. It's either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. James Berry, a Scottish author, made this statement, life is a long lesson in humility. That really got me. How many have lived long enough to know that you don't know everything you think you should know? You've heard me say this, those of you who have been part of this church, there's three types of people in the world. There's people that know stuff, people that don't know stuff, and people that don't know that they don't know stuff. But James Berry said life is a long lesson in humility. It is Jesus himself who gives indication to Zacchaeus in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament, as to his purpose, what really matters. They are in conversation. Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and Jesus says, Come down, I have to go to your house today. And when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we will find a man who healed sick bodies. Did he heal sick bodies? Yes, he did. Did he raise the dead miraculously? Yes, he did. Did Jesus aggravate the elite religious leaders of his day? All the time. He did. But God did not manifest himself in flesh in the man Christ Jesus just to heal bodies. He did not manifest himself in the man Christ Jesus just to raise the dead. He did not manifest himself in the man Christ Jesus just to aggravate religious leaders. But God came in flesh to become the personal sacrifice for mankind's sin. I am so thankful that the purpose of Jesus was not to simply wow with miracles, but the purpose of Jesus was to become, as the King James Version says, the propitiation or the substitution. The NIV version of 1 John 1 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. It was Jesus that declared, to this man Zacchaeus, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You say, why did Jesus come on earth? He came to save. He came for salvation. He came for redemption. He came for claiming us back. 
I love what John declared in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5. And you know that he, that's Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Verse 8 declares, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I want us to mark it down, and I want us to know this well. Jesus Christ came to this earth, not simply to marvel people, but to save people. Jesus Christ came to this earth, not simply to heal people, but to redeem people. Jesus Christ came to this earth to absolutely fight against the power of the devil. He has come to destroy the devil. He has come to annihilate the devil. He has come to fight against the works of the enemy. This is why. There is no greater purpose for the coming of Jesus Christ than a man's salvation. How many times have you, some of you who have been around church a while, heard the song sung, For above all else, I must be saved. Above everything else, above everything else, I must be saved for above all else I must be saved whatever you have to do to me don't let me be lost for eternity for above all else I must be saved I gotta preach it today I gotta declare it like I feel it in the spirit today there is no greater quest that you and I could have in our life than to be right with God. There is coming a day when we will stand before our Creator and He's not going to ask us what our personality is, how much good we did for Him. He's going to ask us, have you been washed in my blood? Have you had my name put upon you in baptism? There is no greater quest and no greater priority than to be saved. Lost people matter to Jesus. See, Jesus taught and Jesus proclaimed salvation. It's very clear. Hear me today. Jesus did not simply espouse improvement. Amen. Let me rerun that one more time. Jesus did not simply come to this earth to improve our life. He came to save me. Which means I don't need his improvement. I need his salvation. And if I need his salvation, without his salvation, I am lost. We don't like to talk about this. I don't even like preaching about this, but I have to preach it. The Bible talks about lostness and salvation. We must be saved. I must be saved. I must let his salvation come in my life. He did not come to improve me. 
he came to save me. And so above everything else, the priority for Jesus is our salvation. When I was a teenager, we would pick up a young lady for church. My parents and I and my brother would drive by and pick her up on Sunday morning. Her name was Michelle. And when Michelle would get into the car, shortly after I was baptized in water and baptized in the Spirit, uh, she would get into the car, and every Sunday morning she would ask me the same question. And it was this, hey, Tim, yeah, Michelle, are you still saved? Yeah, I think. It's been six days. You still saved? She'd ask this every single Sunday. And she asked it so often, I started getting a little insecure about it. Like, am I supposed to be this insecure with my salvation? And no, you're not supposed to be that insecure. Can I just tell you something? God, the Bible does not teach eternal security. But the Bible does also, also does not teach eternal insecurity. You need to tweet that this afternoon. Jesus has greater things in store for us than to simply exist saved. I'm going to say that one more time. I may repeat this whole sermon today. Jesus has greater things in store for me than to simply exist saved. Hertz Car Rental a few months ago came out with a new slogan and jingle for their car company, their rental car company. And it's this catchy little jingle, and there's this professional athlete by the name of Tom Brady that is their spokesperson. Only the Lord knows how much that man's getting paid for that advertisement. And at the end of every advertisement for Hertz Car Rental with this catchy little jingle, he says, let's go. Let's go. It makes me want to rent a car from Hertz just so they can play that. And I want to get in that Hertz Car Rental, roll down the window, and on my way out of the car rental place, holler out, let's go. But I'm not here to preach let's go. I'm here to preach let's grow. Let's do something with our salvation after we've been saved. Let's do something than just exist saved. Let's hope that maybe there's more to this than just missing hell someday. See, the Holy Ghost is not just so we can get our, our exit slip from hell. It's so we can grow and we can go forward in Christ and become the follower of Jesus that he wants us to be. So let me quickly, let me take five minutes right now and preach this. John 15 in verse number one. Jesus, words in red, red letter edition of your Bible. You'll find the words in red, which means it's the words of Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, 
you can do nothing. Would you say that part of the verse with me? For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Jesus says it again. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. So you will be my disciples. There are some components in John chapter 15 that seem to be very clear in our understanding this morning. The first is a vine. The second are branches. The third is fruit. And the fourth is what the Bible calls a vine dresser. It is in verse number five that Jesus declares it emphatically. He said, I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. He then identifies the branches. Now we can all kind of in our mind think about this, the tree, the vine, the branches, distinct from one another. And yet Jesus identifies the branches as those to whom he teaches, the followers to whom he teaches. He then identifies something absolutely necessary in the New Testament church, and that is fruit. Fruit is the purpose. Fruit is the goal. You say, Pastor, why am I saved? We are saved to bear fruit. We are saved to bear fruit. Fruit. In fact, Jesus said it in this passage, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It is the Apostle Paul that echoes this goal of fruitfulness when he commended the Philippian church for their generous giving to him. But he said in Philippians 4 and 17, not that I seek the gift... I'm not in this so you can just bless me financially, but the fruit that abounds to your account. More than anything else, I want you saved folks to have fruit in your account. I want there to be the growth of what the Spirit brings on your account. I want you to be fruitful. It is the cry of this pastor on this Sunday morning that every saved person would be a fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, may I just tell you what the scripture says on the contrary. Verse number two, Jesus defines fruitlessness as uselessness. He says if there's no fruit, it's taken away and it's burned. Fruitlessness is uselessness. The goal is to produce fruit. And then I love what Jesus declares in the 8th verse of John chapter 15 when he says, fruitfulness is the test of discipleship. It's what shows you're, you're following me. Really? You mean it's not attendance on a roll somewhere? You mean it's not super activity in a local church? You mean it's not this or that? No, Jesus defines what discipleship is. When he says, 
If you bring forth fruit, so are you my disciples. Amen. See, it's so much more than a church membership. I can be a member of a church and be as carnal as the day is long. I can call myself a member of a church and not be fruitful. But that's not the goal above everything else. Jesus said in the 8th verse of John 15, But this, my Father, is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Now, I think it's interesting to note this as well. There is no branch that can produce fruit from itself. It's just in me, Pastor. I just got it. No, you don't. I can do it on my own. No, you can't. No, I can't. Because Jesus said this, if you're not abiding in me, you abide all by yourself. And no branch produces fruit from itself. Listen to me. The greatest hindrance to fruitfulness is disconnection. When I am disconnected from Jesus, when I am disconnected from the body of Christ, I cannot produce fruit on my own. He says, you must abide in me and my words abide in you. I told you I wasn't going to preach long today. Stand with me if you would. Now, how many of you, real quick, just let's not move in and out here just for a minute. Everybody look right here. How many of you, something in the last 25 minutes has resonated in your spirit? And it makes some sense. I want you to come right now. I want you just to step out. And this is a call not just for the members of this church, but for everybody. I want to pray with you. Come on, I want you to step down here. Come on, everybody in the house. You don't have to, please, don't fall for the lie. You got to be perfect in order to step out. My goodness, none of us would be here if that was the case. Come on, I want you to come. I want to pray over you. In fact, I want to have Pastor Nate come in just a minute and, and lead us in prayer and pray over us. You know what? Jesus says something, and maybe I'll, I'll talk a little more about this next week. But Jesus also says this. Uh, there's this vine dresser, the father. And... Um, even when there's fruitfulness that comes, and so, there's going to be some people here right now, you're going to identify with this big time. You ready? Nudge your neighbor and say, get ready, here it comes. Here's what Jesus says. When you're connected to the vine and you start bringing forth fruit, it can be really pretty sometimes. There, there's some good-looking fruit. But then there's the vine dresser that comes along every once in a while and he'll start here's what the new king james version calls purging the vine you know what that means it means cutting away 
I read a book one time called The Secrets of the Vine, and, and the author told the story about a vine dresser that walked up to a rose bush that was on a, a long fence at someone's house, and beautiful roses were there. And the vine dresser walked up, and he was the gardener for that property. He started cutting away, purging some of those roses, some of the beauty. And the homeowner showed up right at that time and jumped out of the car and said, whoa, 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 hang on. What in the world are you doing? Those are beautiful. Stop. I'm not paying you to cut up the, the roses. And here's what the vine dresser said. He said, do you want pretty roses or do you want more roses? Because you can't have both. Because in order for the, for the production of more roses, a wise gardener has to cut back at times and get rid of some things at times to produce more growth in the future. How many of you want, listen, how many of the saved folks in the house right now, you want your life to be fruitful, but you don't want to ever stop being fruitful. Is there a witness in the house right now? How do you do that? We stay connected to the vine. I'm going to give you real clear instruction this week. Get in the word this week. I'm preaching to followers right now. I'm preaching to followers of Jesus right now. Get in the word this week. Get in the presence of God this week. Let's immerse ourselves in what that book says. And here's what Jesus said. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask. I'm going to talk about this and get ready. I'm just giving you the spoiler for next Sunday. You're going to learn how to get a prayer answered next Sunday morning. He said something miraculous is going to happen. When you abide in me and my words abide in you, it begins to govern how you ask for things. And then we submit. So we abide in him, but we also submit to the purging process. If you're here right now and there's some purging going on in your life, hmm, that's never comfortable. But he's revealing some things and cutting away some things and, and helping us. And it might not feel like help right now, but guess what he's doing? He's preparing us for more fruit. It's a necessary process. I want to be above everything else saved. And then once saved, above everything else, fruitful. Walking in fruitfulness. I want, to, I want us to pray right now. I wish you would just, first of all, before we pray anymore, I want us to pray for people around us right now. I want you just to close your eyes and, and reach over and, and pray with somebody. Pray. Let's do this. Before we pray for ourselves, let's pray for somebody else right now. God, they have heard this word. They have heard this word. Come on, new life. I wish you'd lift up your voice right now. Lift up your voice right now. That's it. That's it. Come on, lift up your voice right now. Yes, come on, that's it. We're not going to pray a selfish prayer right now. We're praying, we're, we're, we're praying for others, our family, in Jesus' name. 